Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps commentator and investor. And um, as uh, I'm sorry about last week's lack of a podcast. I just woke up and I thought, you know what, I need a break from doing a podcast this week. So uh, it's very occasional. But what I'm going to try and do today is do two weeks worth just by picking the... Uh, most interesting share ideas from each day's Stockopedia small cap value report. Um, have I done the date? No, I don't think so. Sorry, this is the 25th of February 2023. So I'm going to be covering a week commencing Monday the 13th of February uh, uh, and the following week, the week we've just finished, week ending 24th of February, if that isn't too confusing. Anyway, let's look straight into it. So Monday the 13th of February... Uh, the most interesting shares I thought were Jerneo, which is, where's the ticker? J-N-E-O. This used to be 21st century um, something or other. It does CCTV for buses and trains, basically. Well, the reason it's interesting, it's not a very interesting company, basically, I would say. It's too small and it doesn't really have a, a track record of making consistent profits. But it's just made a big acquisition, which looks set to roughly triple the profit. So I'm scratching my head a bit how they managed to get such a a good acquisition that's going to make two million profits a year so cheaply. But anyway, taking it at face value, that seems to be the case. We had some interesting reader discussion about Geneo as well. So have a look at that one. I think it, if you do some micro caps, I think it's for me personally, I'm... Mm, I don't think it's sufficiently scalable for, for, for what I want to see out of the shares. But I think it could it could have the wind in its sails, that share, at least for a trade for a few months, perhaps. Uh, Brickability, B-R-C-K, a brick distributor um, that has a drop shipping model. That came out with an unexpectedly good trading statement saying it's ahead of, ahead of expectations. And I think the shares look really good value. Um, the market's obviously pricing in a cyclical downturn, but there's no sign of that happening yet. So that's quite an interesting company. Now, the third one from Monday the 13th of February is Polarian. I don't know what on earth is going on there. P-O-L-X. This is speculative. It's a, a sort of blue sky project, something to do with MRI scanners. And it's got some novel way of using a particular chemical. And it got FDA approval and everybody was expecting it to soar. And the market being the market, it's done the opposite of what we all expected. And there are a lot of smart investors in this one as well. I know lots of um, my most successful investing friends uh, like this share, or did like it. I don't know if they still do. Anyway, it's plummeted, so seems to be dropping on a daily basis. And this is one example of where doing a webinar actually seemed to go against them. I haven't watched it yet myself, but apparently the recent management webinar presentation was a bit of a a bit of a um a shit show apparently. And they didn't answer any questions and didn't mention anything about funding. Basically the company's Polarin's told the market that it needs more funding. Well we know that already, but it's got enough I think till May twenty twenty four. But it's now looking, um, instead of just going out and raising the money or doing a deal or whatever, it's sort of left the shares hanging with this uncertainty over them, and see, people seem to be uh, people seem to be losing interest. So anyway, thankfully I didn't buy any personally, but it, I would have done if I'd had any spare cash. So that was a lucky escape, and I think really I just need to keep away from a speculative uh, blue sky jam tomorrow type of shares because they so often go wrong. But we're all intrigued by them, aren't we?
Okay, moving on to Tuesday, the 14th of February. We um, Four interesting companies, actually, on that report. Uh, Graham liked BP Marsh. Um, I liked UP Global Sourcing, UPGS. That put out an inline trading update. Uh, and it looks still, I think it's still quite reason, reasonably priced, UPGS. Now, altitudes come up on our radar again. ALT. Uh, this is the. Oops, I'm not giving descriptions. There's not really time today, though. But this does um, uh, a, 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 a sort of marketing products marketplace in uh, mainly in America that connects companies that sell promotional products rather, uh, and it does it through through this platform at Altitude. It's always looked promising, but never really produced any decent numbers. Uh, but it started, it's raising expectations, I think, for the second time. Um, so we think Altitude might be worth a fresh look. What else? Oh, facilities by ADF. This is the provider of mobile production facilities for television companies, which is a booming area, as we've seen with Zoo Digital as well, doing the dubbing. Um, they're doing tremendously well. And facilities by ADF uh, is only trading in line, but they sound positive about the outlook for 2023. I think my only reservation with facilities by ADF, I don't know how scalable it is. So I'm looking for companies that can really grow exponentially. Um, and I, I'm not sure there's that much growth there. And it's, it's quite... Um, it's quite capital intensive too, and you know the, the the drawback of the business model is when you get downtime in between bookings, and you have all these great you know articulated lorries kitted out to be makeup rooms and God knows what else, mobile canteens and so on, just sitting there doing nothing, or having short contracts and then having to have lots of downtime where you move them around the country. That seems to be the flaw, but it's other in all other respects, I think it's a nice little company. Wednesday, 15th of February, there was hardly any companies reporting. So Graham just looked at Gattaca, and, um, which put out a profit warning, and Brighton Peer Group. We're a bit sceptical about Brighton Peer Group, I have to say. You know, you really can't value it on EBITDA because, um, of course, you know, periodically, uh, very, very considerable ma- uh, maintenance spend is required on, on Brighton Peer. It does own other assets as well. But um, I don't know. When, when I, it's not bad that share. P I E R is the ticker, but it doesn't. It doesn't particularly excite me. Uh, Thursday, I was a bit under the weather, so Roland came to my uh, rescue. He looked at Inspiration Healthcare, check it, Home REIT, which of course is uh, a big problem share that's suspended, and Creo Medical. We've been concerned about the cash burn there, but it's done another big fundraise. So thanks, Roland. Much appreciated you uh, stepping up uh, when uh, when needed and at short notice. Very helpful. Thank you. Then Friday, the 17th of February. Again, quiet day for reporting. So um, you can see why I didn't bother with the podcast last week. This is all very dull. So I looked at a, a trading update and strategic review from Purple Bricks, P-U-R-P, uh, it's put itself up for sale, and this is a profit warning. So I, th- I think um, I've gone red on purple bricks now. I think you know the chances of getting a, a good shareholder recovery there look pretty slim. Somebody might buy it, but you often find with these brands when when they've effectively failed and they're put up for sale, the price that that, that is achieved for them can be surprisingly little. Uh, there's some value in purple bricks just because of the brand name, I think, and all that all that sunk cost of all the advertising. Although a lot of the advertising was really annoying, so um, 
I don't know. I just I just think it hasn't it hasn't worked. And it's interesting how the bricks and mortars estate agents and car dealers have fought back against these online disruptors and actually beaten them off in many cases. So that's uh, which which is is uh, is quite good, I think. Now, I also looked at CML Microsystems. We like this one, CML. It's nice in that it's an each way bet. You've got the business itself, which is, is trading well. And you've also got very, very strong asset backing. They've got a big cash pile and also um, a lovely big surplus freehold asset site. It's got this lovely big campus. I forget where, but I did I did uh, Google Map it a while ago and looked at it all. And they finally got planning permission to expand this this campus into a, a sort of mini business park. So there's upside there on the on the property value, but um, I haven't got any. Uh, accurate figures on that unfortunately but I think it's probably built into the share price already because the company's been trying to um, monetize this this surplus property now for over 10 years and its planning applications keep getting rejected but this one's actually been approved that's CML Microsystems and finally I, on Friday the 17th I wrote up my notes from a Q&A I had with the CEO of Wandisco, W-A-N-D. I hold this one personally. Very, very interesting. If what he says is true, and it turns out as he thinks it will, this share could be an absolute monster. But of course, you know, things don't always uh, turn out exactly how um, enthusiastic founders and CEOs hope. So we'll have to see on that. But it uh, it does look very, very exciting, given that they've won all these big contracts, really big contracts, uh, you know, and their order backlog at the end of last year was over $110 million, which is, you know, orders of magnitude bigger than anything that it, we've seen in the past. So this looks like something big's happening at One Disco. So I'm quite excited about that. And it'll be interesting to see if it works or not. Right, moving on to Monday, the 20th of February. Uh, very quiet again for news. So um, Graham covered three companies, and that was it, really. Tech Capital. Uh, Dark Trace. Now, this is one of these things where uh, things that, that looks like uh, things are um, problematic potentially. Uh, 1.9 billion market cap, but it but it's topical and it's interesting. So Graham um, looked at the uh, sort of scandal that's emerging there about the accounts and the audit and so on. I don't have a view on that one. And Graham also looked at lit- litigation capital management, LIT. I mean, I tend to avoid those litigation financing companies. They're too complicated. Right, moving on to Tuesday, the 21st of February. More interesting companies reporting on that day. We covered five, Graham and I. The first one was a, quite a nasty profit warning from Trifast, TRI. This is the indus- industrial fastenings company group. Now, it's funny, isn't it? When a profit warning happens and the share price drops, I think it dropped 30%, but in early trades it was down 40%. Quite a nasty reaction to a profit warning that wasn't desperately bad. Uh, but they've based, I think the main reason was a customer, a large Asian customer, de-stocking. So it sounds like they... Uh, now, this de-stocking issue keeps cropping up at quite a few companies as uh, supply chain problems, you know, cause many companies all over the world to overstock, and they're now winding down those inventories. So this is hitting... Uh, every now and again, this hits a, a, a UK manufacturing company, Um you know, where they just suddenly miss their profit targets because of customers de-stocking. Well, you could just say, well, that's just a transitory factor, isn't it? So um, 
I don't think Trifast has any issues with solvency. And it's funny, on the day of the profit warning, you think, oh, that's terrible, I'm going to avoid it. But a few days later, you start looking at it again and thinking, well, is it really that bad? Uh, I've never been that keen on Trifast, um, because I just think it's in a very competitive sector and the, the profit margins are tight. But over time, I think a lot of companies might be able to rebuild their their profit margins. The key standout for me with TriFast is it's got really excessive inventories, and that can often contain problems, things that need writing off. So I, it would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if TriFast issues another profit warning later in 2023. So for that reason, I'm probably going to... Well, I am going to avoid it. Graham looked at an interesting little company... Um, National Milk Records. Who knew there were records for milk? But there are. That reminds me of uh, <laughs> of Sheldon and, and Big Bang Theory asking, and he had to go to a new hairdresser and ask for his old hair cutting records to be transferred from his old hairdresser. <laughs> and everybody just looked completely nonplussed. Uh, what did I look at? Finsbury Foods, FIF. I've always liked this one. It seems a nice little company, well-managed, uh, sailed through the, the pandemic um, relatively well. It's also coped with much, much higher co- uh, cost increases in the last year very, very well. Um, so H1 profit was down a little bit on last year, but not much really, considering all the headwinds Finsbury Foods has uh, faced. It specialises in celebration cakes, the type, you know, birthday cakes and so on, fancy cakes that you can buy ready made in the supermarkets. Um, if you haven't got time to whip one up yourself, of course, in your uh, Moulineau magic or whatever it is. Uh, so, um, yeah, Outlook is in line with expectations for Finsbury Food for June 2023. I think it's a very nice company, but it's already risen 50% from the autumn lows last year. So my only question mark on it is, well, you know, it's always been lowly rated by the stock market. Um you know, maybe the big gains have been already been had, but I think for long term holders, it's a it's a it's a nice little business. Finsbury Foods is, in my opinion, uh, and Revolution Beauty updated us saying it, it's hoping to come get its accounts out by end of March and relist. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens or not. But it doesn't tell you anything about the finances, so we don't know uh, really what's going on at Revolution Beauty. Boohoo took a big stake in that just before the shares were suspended because there's an obvious overlap between um, the, their customer bases and Boohoo's expanding heavily into other sectors, in particular makeup, is quite lucrative. So that, that could be interesting. Gosh, we're really rattling through these today. It just shows I can cover more companies if I speed up. <laughs> right, Wednesday, 22nd of February. Again, we were amber on the, nearly all of the companies we looked at. Uh, amber. We just have a very simple traffic light system to, to try and home in on the more interesting companies. So let's look at the green one first, actually, the Sanderson Design Group, SDG. Uh, as regulars know, I really like this company. I think it's um, got an absolutely excellent CEO, Lisa Montague. Uh, certainly uh, the interview I did with her last autumn uh, was uh, probably the most fun and most interesting CEO interview I've done without wanting to insult the other CEOs, whoops, <laughs> who were all great as well. Quickly got that in. So uh, anyway, major licensing deal announced with Next. Uh, it looks really good. I, I wrote my section on this before 8am, because if I see something that looks price sensitive, I do try and get something out before the opening bell, um, so people can, can, can take action if they want to. 
often often it's quite good um you know being the first person to buy a, 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 on the opening bell you can sometimes just nip in and grab a a small you know just a few thousand shares or something before uh, uh before the market makers have really um you know woken up and marked it up which they do in in response to demand obviously if they start seeing a flurry of buys coming through they just start marking it up so walking the price up so if you're the first in the you know to to to, to nab a few um you you could get a favorable price doesn't always work though sometimes you end up buying into an early morning spike so but i like this licensing deal with next um, it's a five-year deal. They're going to recognise 2.6 million in the current financial year of advanced licensing revenue. Somebody, one of the readers, was querying, "Well, what is licensing revenue?" Uh, well, it's where um, uh, a retailer or a wholesaler or something pays the brand owner f- to use that brand, to, uh, and and often it will involve, um, you know, the brand owner providing the designs as well so it's not just use it can be just use of the brand name it can be providing them with design input and so on but it's basically a, a, a sign that a brand is valuable if someone else wants to sell products using that brand and using those designs and this really is is sons and designs group um uh, strength, I think. It owns all these heritage brands, particularly William Morris, which is doing very well. This deal with Next was for Clark & Clark, which is uh, a very nice, quirky brand, actually. I, I looked at their uh, their website, all the designs of the of, of fabrics and wallpapers mainly, but Next wants to do a broader range of products. So it'll be things like bedding, uh, cushions, you know, homewares, basically, which don't come in and out of fashion as quickly as clothing. So I like this because, you know, it could be it could be providing uh, Sanderson with a nice revenue stream and it's almost pure profit. This is the this is the beauty of licensing. So I think, yeah, I remain bullish on Sanderson. Now, one of the readers did flag up that um, a couple of the broker notes hadn't raised forecasts. So his suggestion, and I think he's right, was that the... um, Sorry, I can't name-check the reader because I haven't got it up in front of me. But the... uh, the 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 idea was that this deal was probably in in gestation and therefore was probably already in the, the existing forecast. That seems to be uh, what was it Edison or one of those companies said in their commission note. And Singers also said, look, this just underpins the current year. So I think that's the best way of seeing it. So we probably shouldn't get too carried away with this deal. But it also raises the interesting spectre that you know the closer. Sanderson Design Group gets to next. Next might just bid for it um, because it's it's modestly valued. So it wouldn't be, um, you know, it could be earnings accretive for, for next to buy Sanderson Design Group at some stage. Who knows? Um, Graham looked at Gucci and Housego. Wasn't madly impressed. Uh, I looked at Having Trans. Looks quite good. I don't know how to value it. I just think it's priced about right. Science in Sport. Um, updated Graham wasn't madly impressed now angling direct ang um i was i almost bought some of these uh, a month or two ago because at one point the share price was almost fully supported by net cash but looking at the uh looking at the latest update i'm a bit less keen on it it's only really chugging along at break even 
So does it really matter that it's got cash in the bank? Yes, it protects the downside. But what's the point in the business expanding further? Angling Direct, as the name suggests, supplies fishing equipment, but that's, it's a competitive area and uh, very difficult to make money from that sector. So, I don't know, I'm a bit lukewarm on Angling Direct. I can see that the downside is nicely protected by the assets, uh, liquid assets, but uh, where's the upside? That's the difficulty, isn't it? I can't see that there's much difficult uh, upside potential there, even if it does keep on expanding. Uh, Synectics, another CC, small CCTV company I looked through, looks okay, nothing particularly exciting there. And Transense Technologies, TRT. Some of the readers um, are quite keen on this. I looked at the interims, absolutely tiny numbers. But the idea is that they, uh, they're talking up the potential for future revenues in H2 and so on. And if it, I, I've just concluded, if it does manage, if Transense does manage to achieve LMB's ambitious forecasts, then the shares could do could do well. So speculative upside on Transcendence Technologies. It's a stale story, though. It's been around for a long time. It, trying to commercialise sensors, tyre pressure sensors, um, and torque sensing sensors for other complex applications. But as is often the case with these type of new technologies, technologies, it takes donkey's years for uptake off them. And by the time that happens, you know, there have been so many placings to keep the company going that the upside's largely gone. So I uh, I did briefly hold Transcense Technologies back in 2021, I think. But then I just thought, mm, this thing's so small, the opportunity's not that great, I don't think. But you never know, you know, if they land some big deals, it could be, it could be exciting. It's essentially an IP type of company rather than a manufacturer I believe and the the main revenue stream has a finite lifetime to 2030 on a on an existing agreement so I don't know it doesn't madly excite me but it could be interesting if you get lucky right on to Thursday 23rd of February 2023 I looked at McFarlane now these and this was ahead of expectations this is the packaging distributor it also has a smaller manufacturing division as well that's doing really well um, so it beat market expectations on profit by 4%. This is for the full year uh, December 22. So g- getting the uh, figures out nice and promptly will shortly, I think, have an absolute deluge of December year-end accounts. Up until now, we've had a deluge of trading updates, but the actual numbers will start are starting to come through. And, of course, they take longer to analyse than just a trading update. So we'll be very busy, I think, um, over the next few weeks. So we've had a couple of weeks lull where we've been able to gather our strength, ready to go into um, busy, busy mode again, which is is is, is good. I, we, we enjoy the busy periods. Um, now, I've concluded with McFarlane. I really like this share. It's very cheap. But then I looked at some larger competitors, and they're all really cheap as well. I say all. There's two of them, Bondi and uh, oh, what's the other one? So I was gushing with enthusiasm for McFarlane shares um, until I then looked at... Oh, DS Smith is the other one. Well, they are super cheap as well, and they're much bigger and more liquid. So uh, the readers pointed out that actually they've got different business models, um, so they're not directly comparable. But the way I look at it is that they all three companies sell packaging. So (laughs) that's... um, And it doesn't seem to be a sector that interests the stock market. But I think think McFarlane's got a very good long-term track record. I like the shares. Um, What else have we got on Thursday? Oh, Graham looked at TT Electronics, which we like. 
uh, at or around the top end of expectations. It's updated the market on a trading update. Oh, I looked at Traxis, H1 trading update, TRCS. This is the rail and transport-related software group that John MacArthur uh, brilliantly built up. The shares have 20 bagged in 12 years. He's passed the controls over to new management, but I think he's working in the background on, on deals and acquisitions and so on, which he's very, very good at. He has a sort of standard template model. I think they won't pay over seven times EBITDA, something like that. And uh, it's one of those companies where they've managed to make repeated acquisitions, which are basically paid for themselves over two or three years from cash flows. Um, now, the balance sheet's not that great. They they boast about the cash pile, but it's largely offset by creditors. So <coughs> I wouldn't get too carried away about balance sheet strength. It's OK. It's not a concern. Uh, now, um, it said H1 was trading in line with expectations, but I picked up the fact that expectations had been lowered about four months earlier. So... Hmm. Given that it's on 25 times PE rating, I do question the valuation on tracks, as you expect. You know, I wouldn't it be, be expected to be asked to pay 25 and a half times earnings for a company that's had to lower those earnings expectations. But anyway, it's obviously recovering quite well from the ending of COVID, you know, because it's a transport related business. Very interesting core niche business that... Uh, it has software that's totally embedded within the train, operator, train operating companies in the UK. But it's got some interesting international bits as well. I mean, you know, it's a very, very, it's been a very, very good share long term. Uh, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't bet against it, but it's for me, it's too expensive. Uh, and Graham had a quick look at System One. Oh, Graham, sorry, I've lost the cursor. Here we are. Right, Friday we had a profit warning from uh, Kin and Carter. KCT. We had an interesting discussion in the reader comments about that as well. I reviewed the figures, really got myself tied up in knots on this. It was really unclear reporting. Uh, You know, it was telling us lots of positive things, then negative things. And and, and instead of just giving, look, this is the revised guidance profit figure, they, they went round the houses and started talking about operating margins going up and down and really, really awful uh, reporting, I thought, on that. And the market punished them with a 40% drop in share price, I think it was, or was it 30? It was in that range anyway. Um, this is another one where you look at the update and you think, oh dear, this looks grim and the share price is plunging. Uh, but then, you, you know, once the dust has settled, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, is it really that bad? It's still profitable if you go on the adjusted numbers. I mean, I pointed out the fact that, you know, there are huge adjustments every year that turn it from a adjusted profit to a statutory loss. I just don't like the accounting at all at Kin and Carter. It's some sort, it says it's transformed itself into a digital transformation consultancy. Uh, it sold some of the old sort of direct marketing divisions I think uh, and made other acquisitions but it can't even properly explain what it does and that for me is a um, very frustrating when companies use all these fancy jargon and and, you know what we want is to simply understand what it does. A couple of our pretty clued up uh, subscribers left comments about it saying that they thought thought it looks quite interesting but it's, um, it's not for me but I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the market overreacted a bit 
with the profit warning. But the trouble is with Kin and Carter, it doesn't make any research available to private investors. On it doesn't do commissioned research or use brokers that use research trees. So I'm completely in the dark. If I can't access the broker research, I'm not going to buy the shares, am I? So real schoolboy error there. Anyway, moving on, Cineworld, C-I-N-E. I mean, we've been saying for months that this thing's bust. It's been telling the market that it's bust, and I think its US operations are in Chapter 11. Well, and yet the shares are still trading. Why is that? Why is that allowed? Given that they've, that, you know, they've repeatedly said there's unlikely to be any value in the equity. So I don't understand how Cineworld shares have continued to trade. But people will trade anything, even if they know the company's bust. It's bizarre. So I, uh, but but the the latest update from Cineworld made it clearer than ever. Look, there's no value in the equity. The deals they're looking at doing to restructure don't involve any any payment to, to equity holders. So it's a zero. It's almost certainly a zero. Uh, the shares I think dropped to two point six five pence, which is two point six five pence too high. So please, whatever you do, don't be tempted to dabble in this share. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, when the company's told you the shares are worthless. Trading it is absolute madness. I mean, you know, some people specialise in that sort of thing. You can get these last-minute bounces. I remember that happened with Thomas Cook. It was obviously bust, and the shares suddenly three or four bagged. It was it was incredible. So for that reason as well, I wouldn't short it. Um, if you do, you've got to have deep pockets and be prepared for a, maybe um, some last-minute spike before it, it rolls over. Uh, and then you also, if you're shorting something that goes bust, your money can then be tied up uh, for six months or more uh, in some cases. I've had situations like that. And they put it onto a 100% margin, the spread betting firms, which you have to use, obviously, to have a short position. So it's it's too too dangerous, I think, shorting uh, things, unless you've got very deep pockets. Oh, Zoo, Zoo Digital, I've, I've met, I covered on Friday's report again. I really like that. We turned positive on that in April last year. Uh, and we reported positively on it, I think, four times subsequently last year, because it just keeps putting out good trading updates. It seems to be in a, a lovely uh, uh, market position where its its market niche is really um, booming, Zoo Digital. So I like that one a lot. I've got, I've got uh, quite a few friends are in that one. Um, so I'm I'm glad to see that they've that they're doing well. And if I held it, I don't think I'd be selling now, even though it's gone up to about £2 a share. You can see why, with the operational gearing and the very strong organic growth it's getting from providing services to uh, streaming television companies and to Hollywood studios, you can see that it's got uh, more growth coming through. Then I had a quick look at M-Tech. Made Tech is the company name, M-T-E-C. It's an IT services company to the public sector. Sorry, uh, <laughs> that's the obligatory hiccup. It must be the coffee that does it. So I don't normally hiccup. But anyway, um, yeah, I couldn't... Poor H1 figures for made tech. Um, but it's promising jam tomorrow in H2. And the Outlook comments were pretty bullish, actually, saying that they're going to recover. So really, it's very straightforward with made tech. If you if you believe management and you think it will recover strongly and you believe the Outlook comments, uh, then it's probably a buy. Um, the only thing I, where I, I can comment positively, really, is on the balance sheet. It's got Made Tech has a good balance sheet, 8.7 million net cash. Um, so uh, I've put here very little risk of dilution or insolvency. So um, that's uh, quite a lot of people are uh, having a dabble on that one, having a bit of a punt on it for a recovery. May happen, may not. I don't know. 
In terms of the markets overall, I haven't really got a lot to say. I mean, I, I, I mentioned a fortnight ago in my last podcast that things were looking a bit frenzied and uh, recoveries look to have really um, been overdone, I think, in a lot of companies because we're still up against a lot of uh, economic headwinds, you know, and the economy in the UK is pretty stagnant. Are we in a recession? Maybe. But, you know, at best, it's sort of things are flatlining. And inflation is still a big issue. So, um, you know, we're not out of the woods. But the interesting thing is the vast majority of updates we're covering are in line with expectations. Uh, you get the odd one that's ahead, but that's pretty rare. Um, <clears throat> still uh, profit warnings coming through, though, in in the fairly obvious sectors, like the profit warning from... from um, what was it called? Uh, Kin and Carter. You know, it's... a uh, consultancy-type business, well, that's where you'd expect companies to be making savings, I guess, isn't it? But it's so it's so difficult to predict. You, uh, the, the, then brickability comes through with a strong update. Well, supplying bricks, you know, the house builders are generally saying that they're cutting back on production and so on. Maybe there's going to be a time lag there, I don't know. I am finding it difficult to... Uh, and, and value retailers are doing well, other retailers... Some are doing well, some are not doing well. It's really difficult to predict, I think, uh, where, we, where we're heading at the moment. But I think um, <clears throat> we've certainly seen over the last two weeks some, some retracements on, on all the indices, really. It's always driven by America, isn't it, really? That seems to set the direction on a, on a daily basis. Uh, small caps, yeah, I've, I follow about 100 small caps li- live prices on one screen to the side of where I'm working on the other computer. And I've, you know, definitely noticed quite a lot of profit taking, what looks like profit taking. You never know why people are selling, do you? And it makes sense, doesn't it? If a shares bounce 50% or more from the October lows, people are going to want to, to, to bank those profits. And I think that's pretty sensible, actually. Particularly if a company hasn't reported yet, you don't know how it's trading. And you can't just assume that it's trading well because the chart's going up, as we saw with TriFast. Uh, the, the two things are not linked. Um, <clears throat> you know, chartists seem to have this idea that everything's in the in the share price. It really isn't, you know, because some of those people buying and selling uh, are knowledgeable, but plenty of them aren't. And you can't just assume that insiders are buying or selling and setting the share price direction. Quite often it's wildly out of step with the fundamentals, particularly in small caps, because these prices move on, on very few trades quite often. And then you get a sort of stampede of buyers coming in and then a stampede of sellers. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really interested in following the short term blips of the, of the share prices. But you can certainly see where you've had a really good gain on something, I think it does make sense to, to top slice or, or to sell all of them and buy back in late, uh, at a later date. But of course, then you miss takeover bids, don't you? But I normally have two or three takeover bids a year in my own portfolio. My own portfolio is going great guns, I have to say, largely thanks to uh, the takeover bid at Seraphine, where I got lucky 200% premium, which I kind of would thought might happen, but I, it, it, it was quite high risk. But that gave me a big pot of money to deploy buying other stuff, nearly all of which has done really well uh, as well. So, um, yeah, a, a fantastic year for me so far in percentage terms, but 
in terms of actual pound notes, unfortunately, my losses last year were so high that, um, you know, a lot of that money's gone forever, I think. But never mind, it's only money. Um, and um, But it's nice to at least have had a, a, a good start to this year. So on the economic side, I haven't really picked up very much of interest. I think all eyes are on the Fed with the interest rates and so on, aren't they? It seems to be the case that... Uh, the uh, the American economy might be running a bit too warm, and they they want to keep hiking rates. Apparently, uh, <clears throat> they'll they'll get the timing completely wrong and overdo it, as they always do, don't they? Central banks are notorious for that. Um, so I'm wondering about inflation in the UK. You know, yes, we're past the the, the peak, and the forward data on things like commodities and production costs and so on are looking much much better now, but. I think some of this inflation may already have, have, have become structural in the system. Because I was looking at uh, the costs for the little flat, you know, apartment block where I live. I'm a director of it. And, you know, cost increases are coming through thick and fast on lo- in lots of areas. And we had our AGM this week and the managing agent said there are some astronomical cost increases coming through, particularly from insurance companies and from builders. She said there's a structural problem getting good builders, because when you do get builders out, they're nearly all in their 50s and 60s. Younger people don't don't want to do building, and it's more difficult to get in cheap Poles and Romanians now, of course. So you've got structural skills shortages in the UK that I think could mean that um, we might see continuing inflation in services so I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I'm not. I'm not going to waffle. Uh, yeah. So um, <clears throat> the outlook. I don't know. I think it's on a stock by stock basis. I'm feeling reasonably comfortable with the positions in my portfolio, but I only hold things where they put out a recent positive trading update. That's the thing. I don't want to be guessing. Will the company recover? I don't want to be guessing. Will they? you know, managed to get successfully win contracts and so on. You know, there's too many small cap shares where there's there's too much guesswork involved. I'd rather just buy things that we know are doing well and then just sit back and wait. And then if, you, if you're not geared, which I'm not anymore, I don't have to worry about what, what the markets overall are doing. It doesn't matter to me. I don't really follow what the Dow or the S&P are doing anymore or the FTSE because it's not really relevant to, to, to the companies I'm in. So uh, that makes things much more relaxing. I'm so glad that I re- renounced gearing. It's just make it made life uh, much, much better, not having the stress of any significant geared positions because I can ride out any downturn that may occur. Um, and uh, that's a much better position to be in. That's been my Achilles heel over the last 20 years. And I've uh, just occasionally got brutally battered by uh, being geared in a, in, a, in a bear market. And, and you know, you, you give back all the money you made in the bull market. So what's the point? I'd rather make uh, smaller gains and, and hang on to them. So that's the strategy now. And so far, so good. It's working well. Having a good year so far. Let's hope it stays that way. <laughs> OK, thanks for listening. And sorry for the... Uh, rambling near the end and we'll go back to doing these weekly I think going forward because we should have much more interesting material as the 2022 year-end accounts uh, are starting to be published now so uh, I'll be busy over the next few weeks looking forward to it (laughs) okay hope you well and uh, I'll sign off with my usual cheery bye